What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here today with Anthony, Mike, and Lori, and we are continuing to discuss Cursed. Today we are discussing episode 9, and there is a lot to cover in this episode. So much is going on. I don't know. Is there a particular part y'all want to start on, or do you want to just start from the beginning and, and kind of go forward? I have like five pages of notes about no, this no, episode. No, I was going to start with the beginning because that was just, I, 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 I didn't know how that was going to go at first. That's a hell of a way to start an episode. Okay, so we're going to start the episode. Of course, we saw at the end of last episode, Merlin realizes that uh, Nimue is in danger. And he basically rushes off from Cumber's camp to try to go warn her to let her know what's about to come because Cumber's daughter has, she has convinced her father that Nimue is a threat to him and his claim to the throne. And then also at the end of last episode, we realized as Merlin is leaving the camp that the fisherman has found him and is tracking him. So we start off the episode with Merlin on his horse rushing to Nimue and he gets shot with an arrow straight in the chest. First of all, ouch. Like the fact that he even, I'm sure it has to do with his magical, you know, him being a magical person, but the fact that he got shot straight in the chest and is still alive, that was like very um, surprising to me. But I mean, clean shot straight through the chest and the fisherman has found him. And, um, you know, the fisherman says to Merlin that, you know, he's doing this for Lord Rugen. Lord Rugen sends his regards. He's like, I'll take his coin, but I would have done you for free. And then he says, this one's for father. So apparently there's there's already some kind of background with Merlin and the fisherman where um, later on in the episode, the fisherman says that uh, Merlin turned his father into a monster, which we don't know what that means because it's never really explained. But, you know, I sat here and I thought about this. The fisherman is sitting here and he's talking to Merlin about how he attracts his prey and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, dude, you're monologuing. You're about to die. <laughs> like, you're That's talking. Exactly I was like, you are taking way too long to string this man up and you are taking too much pleasure in letting him know how you went about trapping him and how pleasing it is. And I was like, yeah, dude, you're about to die. And what happens? Merlin, even being poisoned, um, the fisherman says that the, the arrow is poisoned. Merlin finds a way to kind of, he takes the arrow out of his chest he hits the fisherman with it. They struggle. He tries to um, he tries to strangle him with his net, and then he takes the arrow and he jabs it into the fisherman's lung and kills him. And I'm like, that was a lot more anticlimactic than I expected it to be. I mean, the way we were introduced to the fisherman, we were thinking this dude is so badass. Like Merlin's got it coming, and like literally because you talk too much. You got your ass handed to you by a poisoned, no ma- no magic magician. I was just like, yeah, but how many how many people how many people actually expect someone to take to get shot with an arrow, then 
be able to pull the arrow out of their chest and stab them with it. Right. I mean, that's something that doesn't happen every day. But this is Merlin. Of course it's gonna be like, I mean, of course it's gonna be like, you know, I mean, I agree, he monologued way too long. He's like, I'm dedicating this to my father who you you turned into a monster. You know what you did to me? Do you, do you, do you? And it's just like, Merlin's like, oh, this? Right. And it's like, yeah, I was like, I, I knew I was gonna. I was like, well, hold on. Right, I was expecting. And they, even, they even started and picked out coals and started eating them like like apples. And I was like, those aren't hot. Like, I think they were, but I think the char- I think the charcoal is supposed to like maybe slow down the effects of the poison. I don't know. That's no, I, that's no, kind I, of. I understand that, and I'm just saying that the coals were probably a little warm. He just picked them up and started eating them like apples. It was like, hush, 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 like eating them like apples. And I was like, you're not burning yourself at all? This is a person who used to have a sword embedded in his body. I don't think the coals are a big deal. <laughs> I guess not, but, you know. It's, it's probably been through worse, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Um, I think I think it, it was kind of anticlimactic because you're right. They did introduce him in this awesome way, and you think he's going to be like this major foil for for Merlin, and he turns out to, you know, have his three minutes of the sun, and then yeah, and now he's dead. Right. Yeah, but I think he was really like I think it, I've said in the last episode that we did that he was sort of a nod to the Fisher King from the Arthurian tales, mm-hmm. so, you know, they probably weren't going to have him stick around too long, since it really was just, hey, you know, for the Arthurian, pe- Arthurian people, here's here's the Fisher King, or our version of the Fisher King, you know. Yeah, but you I... See him? Cool, all right, on to the next one. Exactly, right. yeah. I, I was like, I expected him to be there a little bit longer, but again, I guess it's kind of like when we were introduced to him, I'm guessing whoever it was that he had buried in the ground, it wasn't a personal thing. Like, that was probably just business. This was personal to him. And one thing we always know when people when people are dealing with this kind of thing, whether it's vengeance, revenge, uh, vigilanteism, whatever you want to call it, if they can keep their emotions out of it, they're fine. They can deal with it. But once you let your emotions come in, once you make it personal that's when you start making mistakes. And this is, he, he made a major mistake, you know, and he also underestimated Merlin. One of the things that, you know, Merlin has said in this show and that we have always said as well, Merlin may not have his magic, but he does have his wits. And the fact that the, you know, the fishermen just kept saying, yeah, you think you're so, you know, you think you're so grand, you think you're so whatever, and now look at you, that's almost like a challenge to somebody like Merlin. Like, oh, you think you have me down? Okay, let me show you something. Hey, how about this arrow in the chest? You know? And his was a little more impactful to me because I could actually hear it. Like, it's almost like you could hear it puncture the lung when when he buried it in the fisherman's chest. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, there's no way you're getting out of this. And he died very quickly. And it was just kind of like, first of all, you outweigh him by like you have to be almost twice his size, and he had an arrow stuck in his chest, and you still let him kill you. Yeah. 
So disappointing. Yeah, but it is, this goes back to him being kind of Captain Jack Sparrowish, like you know, like kind of luring him in and getting him comfortable. And with his, as soon as he lets his guard down enough, he's like, okay, now I'm gonna strike. This is, it. It proves how resourceful he is, even though he doesn't have his magic. He's had to learn to become smarter and more clever right. in order to survive, in order to make things happen. So, and what what better way to really show your cleverness and your resourcefulness than to kill somebody, even though you have a poison arrow in your chest and you can't really breathe? So, there's that. Yeah, I guess it was just it was a bit of a. It was a bit of a letdown. I expected a little bit more resistance, and I expected maybe a little bit more of a drawn-out um, story with the fisherman, you know, given that he's been, you know, he's pretty much killing everyone in his path to get to Merlin, you know. Um, I, I just, I expected more. So, it was, it was okay. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of glad Merlin survived, um, even though we do see he is weakened and he's not at, you know, he's not at 100%. But, um, yeah, it was just, I don't know. It's just a, it was a good way to start the episode. But, it, again, it was just kind of like, eh, this is all we get? Okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, too, that wasn't anything that was important enough to take away from everything else that happened in the episode because like I said there was so much that happened in this episode um that I think if they had spent a little bit longer with it it, it just it probably just wouldn't have you know it wouldn't have made sense yeah, yeah. there's another one that when we when you and I first recorded recorded the episode for the whole thing of cursed it's like this episode made me realize exactly how much we left out because there was a lot in this episode that we didn't talk about that first time. I was right. Like, Damn. Right. Like, yeah, we left a lot out. So yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely a good thing we're doing this episodically. Yeah, and that was one it's of the nice things work. when when I was going back and I was I was listening to it. I just started thinking about I was like, wow, we didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about that. And it's like there are some things that happened in this episode that I completely forgot about until I rewatched the episode. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is not one of those shows that you can just do like a one season um, recap or review of because we would be here for like three or four hours. It was, it, you know, and still forget stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot a lot going on in this episode um moving on from the fisherman because like i said it really wasn't much in this episode with him um going back to grammaire at the end of last episode we saw that um grammaire was about to be under siege you've got pendragon soldiers on one side and you've got the red paladins on another and they're all coming for grammaire to try to lay siege and under you know, uh, you know, knowing that they're about to be under attack, Nimue, uh finds out that they are down to like maybe two days worth of food for the entire city. And that means all of the humans who were there in Grimaire, all of the Fae, everyone, you know, everyone that they have to try to feed, they only have two days worth of food left and they still have to be there for maybe a, a few more days after that. 
um, waiting for these ships to come. And, um, you know, Laura Ector suggests that she does a conditional surrender, you know, to try to save the people. And I have to say, I don't like Laura Ector much. So when he opened his mouth and Morgana gave him the business, I was all for it. Like Morgana went off on him. She went off on Arthur. And you could tell like, I want to say part of it has to do with uh, the influence that the uh, Kaliak has over her. But I think a lot of it has to do with her own personal um, feelings, how she felt about her uncle sending her away to the Abbey. How she felt about Arthur not, you know, I guess doing more to, to keep her from that fate or whatever. But she is angry and she, like, let them have it. And I just sat back at the TV like, okay, Morgana, yeah. Get it all out, girl. Get it all out. Because I don't like no. Hector at all. You know. I, we, I said yeah, this. I, 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 I agree with you. It, it was a moment where I realized... I think there's more to her than just the Kaliak's influence mm -hmm. because she's a very strong personal, she has a very strong personality and she's fiery and I mean, she's a rebel at heart. Right. And so, yeah, she's going to give him the business because one, she doesn't like him too. She didn't appreciate, you know, how he treated her mm -hmm. and Arthur and it, it, it just seemed now she's in a position where she can say how she feels mm -hmm. and not have to suffer any consequences. Yeah, yeah. it's nice being an advisor to the Fae Queen. Right. You get some perks that with was, that. that was, yeah, that was 100% pin of aggression. Like, she, she had that sitting in her for at least 10, 15 years. Like, yeah. she was the... I just see her stewing in the Abbey, like, ooh, if I ever see him again, I'm going to tell him such and such, such. And yeah. it's like, she finally got the opportunity and it's like, I still, I mean, I feel bad for, for Arthur because as, it, as, as it's going to be shown later, it's like there wasn't much that Arthur could really do about her being sent to the right. house. She still really blames, blames him a lot for that. Like she puts a lot of blame on him for something that he couldn't do anything about. But it's not like he was a squirrel that he could just go and rescue her. I mean... You know, squirrels are one in a million. So Yeah. So. And I think that I conversation Yeah, I think that conversation they had later in the episode, you know, Arthur kind of approaches her and you know, he realizes that she's angry and he you know, he at first she's angry with him because of everything that happened and then she's upset because he stole the sword from Nimue. And came to Ector, and and she believes that he came, he brought it to Ector to offer it to Ector, and then he tells her no, it was for a tournament, and she thinks that's even more ridiculous. Until he explains, he's like, no, I was trying to find any shred of honor. He said, you know, you you blame me for what happened to you. Who was I? I was a twelve-year-old boy loaded with debt from our father. There was nothing I could do. She, you know, he said basically our dad made it to where I had to beg in the streets like, a, you know, like a beggar. And all he was trying to do was find his honor. And I think at that moment, you could kind of see when he says that, and especially when he says, I was only 12 years old and I had a mountain of debt that, that follows me to this day. You could kind of see it on her face like, I don't think she ever looked at it 
in that sense that, oh, he was only a child too. I think she only ever looked at it as you were my older brother, you were supposed to protect me. And I think if she hadn't been doing whatever it was she was doing with the dead dog on her bed, you know, I, I'm guessing that has to do something with, you know, her her witchcraft or her trying to get into that mindset or whatever. But I think if she wasn't doing that, she might have been a little more open to listening to him and understanding. I think she felt a little sympathy for him, but then at the same time, she's now focused on her own um, her own path and her own journey. And it's just to the point where I think, you know, even when he asks her, so is there anyone that you do trust? And she, she doesn't answer him. I think she, it's just gotten to the point where she, now she's so focused on finding out or pursuing whatever her path is supposed to be that she doesn't have time for, um, you know, reconciliations or anything of that sort. Her her main goals right now are to make sure that Nimue does not give up the sword and to figure out what it is that she's supposed to become. You yeah, know? If you think back to that conversation she had with Nimue back when, you know, she found out Celia was dead, she basically said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is all she has. This is what she has left. And so she doesn't have time for him. She doesn't have time for his apologies. She doesn't have time for reconciliation. She is always moving forward. It's time to move forward, move on, and get things done. Right. You know, being being loving and caring and sympathetic, that gets you nothing. Right. That's what she's like. I was going to say, shout out to Devin Terrell, who plays Arthur, because this was, like, probably his best his best performance of the series in this episode. I agree. I think that yeah, he really let his acting chop show, and I was like, okay, now, yeah. now, now I'm actually starting to feel him a little bit more, like feel like like get get more into his character because I felt like this showed a lot of him being being more of a tragic character instead of someone who is just who is always going, going, going. It shows his motivation. It shows that he has heart, and it shows that he has. A lot, a lot that he hasn't shown to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That as far as how he feels and like and how and how this is really affecting him. And I don't think I don't think he's really had a chance, like had anybody who really cared about him that much to know to say, yo, are you, are you okay? How do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. And this is the first time he's actually. It feels like this is the first time he actually came to terms with everything that he's been through since his dad died. It's like, this is really a, a heavy outpouring of emotion from him. And I thought that was, I, I thought this was definitely probably his, one of his best, his best performance of the series to date. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been kind of waiting for, for that kid that played, you know, Barry. He played President Obama in the little I saw that. I was like, and, I gotta watch that. Did he? It was, it was, yeah. yeah. And, and, and finally, that performance that he did there was really good. And it was finally good to see him finally show that part of his his acting ability. I don't know if he's kind of been holding it back most of the series, but it was it was pretty good to see him just finally cut loose and, and be the actor that that we all know he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. Um, you know, we we've seen him so much in this um, season so far, where he's had to kind of 
put off this tough exterior or this kind of, you know, um, just not letting things affect him as much. And we see a lot of vulnerability in this episode, not just with his conversation with Morgana, but also at the end, we'll talk about it, his, um, his scene with Nimue, um, that scene like broke me. Like I felt, I I felt it, you know, in, in that in that scene, and we'll we'll talk about that later. But yeah, his he was so good in this episode. It's kind of like now we're like we're really starting to see him fully fleshed out as a person, and he's not this one dimensional character that everyone has been shown up to this season. Not not the the um, selfish one. Not the um, the one that's just driven by his own insecurities or driven by his own wants or whatever. It's kind of like now we we start to see him as a fully fleshed out character with faults, but also with his strengths. And we've been talking about the last couple of episodes where, you know, Arthur makes a lot of sense with a lot of the things that he says to the Fae. And I think now people are starting to see that about him and respect his character a little bit more. So that's that's also good to see as well. But going back to um, the conversation with Morgana, um, Anthony, piggybacking off of what you said, I think also the thing with Morgana is whatever path to redemption or whatever path to growth that Arthur is on, I think at this point, Morgana just doesn't want to be a part of it. She has her own path that she needs to walk now and I think she feels like if she gets drawn into or back into some kind of reconciliation with Arthur I think she feels like it'll distract her from her path because then not only will she be worried about Nimue she'll be worried about Arthur too and I think she is the type of person that she will put she would end up putting those things first especially since with Nimue there's a bigger Nimue is just a small piece in a bigger puzzle. And I think Morgana is focused on that. But if she also takes on Arthur's burdens at this point, I don't think she'll follow her own path. And I think that's kind of where she's she's drawing that line in the sand. Like, okay, yeah, you've told me how you felt, but I, I'm good. You know, you you do your thing, I do my thing. I think that's just kind of where she is right now. Will that change with her and Arthur? I don't know. But right now, I just think that's the only way that she's going to be able to do what she needs to do for herself is if she kind of keeps well, him at arm's length. Well, I think that the other thing is that if you look at her and Sister Iris, a lot of the way that they approach life is their upbringing in the nunnery. I mean, you can clearly see from both women the, the influence that it had. It, it kind of... Uh, took them in when they were young, broken, uh, orphans, homeless, and it turned them into the type of people that they wanted them to be, whether they want to uh, be that way or not. So I think between the two of them, you basically have the product of, for lack of a better word, foster home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, children who are in the system uh, develop mechanisms to, to cope with life and it can make them appear to be very, very hard. And I'm thinking that if you look at both of them really closely, you're seeing aspects of that in both her and Sister Iris. 
Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. You know, and uh, we'll talk about little sister Iris in a in a little bit because <laughs> I know I think we all have that that reaction when we. When, I mean, it's like you mention her name and it's just like. <sighs> Do we have to talk about this bitch? But <laughs> right, right. But okay, so I want to get to Uther <laughs> because um, so Uther is getting ready. His his mother comes into his tent, and he basically tells her that he's getting ready to lead the siege against Grammaire, and she's. <laughs> She's being very um, non-supportive of him. Like, he's trying to take initiative. He's trying to lead. He's trying to do these things that he's supposed to do. And, um, you know, she basically tells him, no, this is not what's going to happen. The church is going um, to lead the charge against Grammaire. And he says, no, we, we've already worked this out. She was like, no, this has been decided. The church lost Grammaire. They can lose men to go get it back. She was like, this has already been decided. And she walks out with her, I guess, Borley is supposed to be her counsel. But I'm like, she just openly, like, in front of two of his men and in front of Borley, she just basically openly told king uther that okay yeah you are the king but i'm the one calling the shots like it's one thing to do that behind closed doors but now she's doing it in front of other people and yeah, that, that that is a mistake you know we'll, we'll learn later that's a mistake oh yeah you would think that she would know she would need to kind of usher him in the direction that she needs him to go like she made it clear to him i found if it was last episode, episode before where, okay, you make these are the alliances you want to make. This is what you need to do. You know, mm-hmm. be, be a counselor. But don't sit there and just outright treat him like trash. He's still the king. And you can't do that in front of other people in the way that she did. Right. And she- right. I think that this is where this is where her her finding knowing that that everyone, uh, her coming home, telling him that he's really not her son, really is, really shows how she just doesn't care anymore. She's like, well, screw it. Now you know, so I'm going to take over everything. And I'm like, and, but you, but there's still something to be said for decorum. Like you said, he's still the king. He hasn't been, no, they, have, they haven't had like a proper uh, hearing or anything saying that, Oh, you're not the heir, so we're gonna take take the crown from you. He still has the crown, so you can't, you can't, like you said, you can't dress him down like that, or there'll be consequences. And it's like, I, I, she, she was just feeling herself. I get that she's been held down a lot, and she's she was crying. She she was she was like saying, you know, if I wasn't a woman, I'd be ruling everything and da 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 da. But this the medieval this medieval times, you can't do shit about that. I'm sorry. You're just gonna have to figure something else out. And then on top of that, off, you're making decisions without him. Right. And that that is a problem. I mm-hmm. mean, that that is a serious problem for him as a king. Right. And for the crown as well. You just you just can't do that. And she should know better. And and I'm just saying, know, she I, oh no, you're right. Move. You're right. And she and and he 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 let her know that in in no uncertain terms, like 
you know, later on, of course he's upset by this, but then later on he go, he goes to her tent and he's got drinks and it's kind of like he's walking in, he's in a good mood and it's weird. You know, it's like he's about to celebrate. She, she's even looking at him suspiciously like, what is this? And he's like, oh, we just had a pleasurable conversation with the church and, you know, we've agreed that I'm, that I'm going to lead the siege. And she was like, you went behind my back? And he was like, yeah, pretty much. And he was like, um, I thought you'd be proud. You know, I'm taking the initiative. And he's explaining to her everything that he worked out with the church. So basically, he's like, he gets to keep Nimue. They get the sword or however it was that, you know, he negotiated. And she's upset and she just starts drinking. And then he starts telling her um, about, you know, he was like, you know, I had to make some inquiries on my own about the circumstances of my birth. And that was very hard. You did your job well. But there was one record that I found and as he's telling her this she's still she's still like berating him she's still talking down to him all the while she's choking like you know the wine went down the wrong way or something like that and she tells him to call for the healer and he was like excuse me what's that and she falls and he starts giving her like the background he was like yeah i had i had borley make some very discreet inquiries and we found out about this peasant girl named uh what was her name sylvia i think and he was and he was like yeah we found out about her her death from mysterious circumstances after drinking some poison spiced wine he was like was that was that my mother and she's just sitting there looking at him and he's just like digging into her like I have been thinking about this for the last few days, thinking about her and, you know, she was only 19 when you killed her and I've been thinking about what kind of life I would have had if she had been my mother. Had, would I have been loved? Would I have been raised properly? And he was like, but you can you can rest assured right now, I am one, I am and will always be your son, meaning this, you, your influence is what has brought you to this point. And it's like yeah. at that moment before she dies, she smiles because it's kind of like she gets it. And in that moment, because of what he's done, she's proud of him because this is what she's been trying to raise him to be like as a king. Like, you know, taking charge, being ruthless. And when she gives that smile and she dies, he just starts sobbing. Because I think at, at some point he's still is upset and heartbroken about the fact that she is the only mother he has known. It's obvious she didn't love him. And so I'm sure that hurt. And then at the same time, like, he goes from crying to that maniacal laughter, like, oh, my God, I just did this. I, I own my own destiny now. Because nobody else really knows the truth except for her as far as he knows. You know, he doesn't know that Merlin knows. He's it seemed to be joyous and sorrowful all at the same time. Mm -hmm. like, it was like glee and sadness mm -hmm. all together. And that little smile she had at the end was, was brilliant because she realized, yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, exactly. He finally, he finally got the, the, the steel to do what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. how, how ironic is all this that she was was nervous about being poisoned by everybody, did not eat any food in her room, <laughs> everything was sitting there spoiling, and here she is, she trusts the one person that she thinks can't doesn't have the balls to poison him, and he pulls that off. And 
I'm like, I'm looking at that. As soon as he brought the wine, I was like, oh, that's poison. Oh, yeah, exactly. First time I watched it. First time I watched this, I was like, man, that that wine is poison. You really don't need to be Mm -hmm. drinking that. And you saw once he gave it to her and cheers her and she drank and he didn't. I was like, Oh yeah, you're dead. Was the, that, yeah. that was a that was a well written scene too. His lines were great. Very build up, build up to her death. He's just like, yeah, you know, all things are great, and you know, I found her. Her name was Sylvia. Man, like, is that who you murdered? Is that was that my mother? It's like all of a sudden he he shifted. Right. And that whole train of thought of his was really good. He was mm-hmm. really good. It's the one time when monologuing actually worked worked in his favor. Where he'd be like, he was just sitting there monologuing, just talking like, yeah, da, 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 da. And she's like, <coughs> yeah, because she couldn't do anything. Anyway, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's done. This is done deal. Yeah, that was but a yeah, great I scene. That was a great it, scene. It was awesome. Like she got exactly it, it what she so deserved. Game of Thrones. <laughs> it, it was so Game of Thrones. Like I, I loved it. I mean, it was so much fun. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, did you not see that coming? I mean, come on. You, you know, she spends all your life paranoid, but you're right. The one person she trusts that doesn't have the, you know, the balls to do it, well, you did. Yeah, and then... And she didn't see it coming. No, and then I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay on Uther um, instead of going back because later on in the episode, Father Cardin comes to see him um, because Uther has sent... Um, he has sent a... Um, you know, he sent a letter to Nimue, basically giving her, um, or he sent Borley to Nimue to discuss terms. He's basically like, um, you know, you can surrender yourself and bring the sword to me. And um, at first, he was not offering any kind of protection for the Fae. And then when she said, that's the only way I would do this, he sent word back to her that he would give the Fae ships to travel north in exchange for her surrender and the sword. So Father Cardin apparently finds out about this and goes to Uther, and he's like, um, I thought we had an agreement. You know, we were supposed to do it this way. And uh, Uther says, oh, you mean the way that you, you know, you consulted me when you went through and sacked all the Fae towns and you started killing people? And, like, literally... Uther's whole personality turned this episode. And I was looking at him like, oh, okay. This is what we've been needing to see from the king, you know. And Father Cardin, you know, he he, he was. But you know what? It worked because Father Cardin kept coming at him. You know, we, we were supposed to do this and... You know, us clean. You know, us cleansing the fade. That's a favor from a friend to another. You know that sort of thing. And I can't remember what Uther said to set him off, but Father Cardin just basically he almost lost his temper. And there's an abbot there, um, Abbot Wicklock, I think is his name, and he tries to talk to Uther with a diplomatic approach and Uther is like I'm not here for none of y'all's business they were like well you can give us the girl and you can burn her on a pyre that'll be seen you know as far as Rome and that'll be a boost for everybody he's like no and they're like no he's like no I'm gonna keep her for myself you know until 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 I can get what I need from her and it was just like oh he killed his mama and grew some balls what this is 
so. Because it's like the only times that he actually made sense, and it's like he, I mean, from what what he said and what he's doing made perfect sense because he doesn't want her to be killed because she's gonna become a martyr, and that's gonna make everything way harder for Mm -hmm. everybody. So it's like, why why should I make sense? You make an example of her and burn her when everybody's gonna see that and be like, oh my god, we have to avenge her. She's gonna become Joan of Arc basically. Mm -hmm. So why would you? Why would you do that? And I, yeah, I gotta give him props because I mean the way he he sat there at the table at the outside table with the pig in front of him, unbothered, there, relaxed, and his feet kicked up. It's like, yeah, okay, so here's how it's gonna go. And I don't care what you say, I don't care what you do. You can come over here, and you could tell that Cardin Cardin was like, "Where's your mother? I really, I'm, I kind of talked to her. I really need to talk to her." And he's like, "Oh, you can." I, I'm surprised he didn't ask. And he was like, "Oh, she's buried out back." Go talk to you want to, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad he finally he finally grew some balls and but and, and I'm glad he finally grew some balls and actually became a king. So mm-hmm. I think that that's pretty cool. It was like that moment you realize, oh, he was paying attention in class, right? <laughs> <It's> like, right. <laughs> right, and it's like now, I I think part of it was that he was always still trying to please his mother and it's kind of like once he found out the truth about her he's like oh i don't have to do shit for her okay you know what let me rule for me and let me do what i need to do for me and and like you said my is it's kind of like he's been paying attention all along and now he has the freedom to do what he's supposed to be doing or doing what he should have been doing all along. He has no, you know, his mother is not there to influence him. Merlin is not there to influence him. He literally has no advisors at this point. And he can, it's kind of like he can think for himself. Like his head is clear now, you know, without those outside influences. So. I'm wondering, like now, the way the way he was talking about the Faye, I'm wondering if he really, that wasn't, none of that was his idea. Like he really didn't want like he actually cared. He actually cared about everybody in his kingdom, but because I'm wondering why now. Well, I know why now because he was a wuss back then, and he was whipped. He was he, he was whipped by his mother and all that other stuff. But it really seemed like he actually really did care about what was happening to the Fae. Like and, and now, like it seems, it seems like he said he finally came to terms with it, and he's just like, like you're just doing all that. And Father Carden said, I'm doing that as a favor. I'm doing that free of charge. And he's like, really? I don't know if it was... Well, I I think it was more... Well, I was going to say, I think it was more or less he's trying to play the game with the church. I think that probably has more to do with it than caring for the faith. It's like, I will have something that the church wants. So he's basically trying to exert control. Like, this is my kingdom. Y'all are here in my kingdom. So we, the crown, are going to do what's in the best interest for us, which is I'm going to keep her so you can't have her because this is my kingdom and not yours. Mm -hmm. And I think that has more to do with it than trying to. And, of course, I'm going to let the fate get away because y'all want to kill them all. So I'm not gonna let you do it mm-hmm. because this is my kingdom. And, and yeah. yes, I'm, 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 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to put them on board. I'm going to send them away. And, you know, after that, you can have at it. But they're here in my kingdom. I'm going to give them passage. Because he's not going to let them. He's not going to let the church now at this point. He's not going to He's doing what I asked him to do several episodes ago. <laughs> it's your freaking kingdom. Yeah. You can't let these guys roam the countryside slaughtering your citizens. You need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And finally, he's doing something about it. Not because he cares, but because it's his kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's what he cares about. And I think that's what he realized now. And it also <laughs> makes him look a little bit like a savior. Um, maybe not to the Fae, but to the other people. They may look at him like, oh, you know what? He stopped the Red Paladins from committing all of this mass, you know, murder or whatever the case may be. So he's, he's thinking about how it's going to make him look. You know, because like he said, you know, you as the church, you know, you go through my, you go through my lands, you kill people and you, you're basically turning people against the crown. And that's not, that's not something that he wants, you know? So it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is what you've been doing. And I don't remember asking you to cleanse my lands. I don't remember asking you to get rid of the fae. You just decided to do this on your own. So now I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to thwart you at every turn. And he had yeah, such a yeah. satisfying look when he said it. Like when Father Carter, when they left, he just kind of had a smirk. He was like, <laughs> kind of like, yeah, I just did that. You know, like he was very proud of himself. Yeah, and when he was talking, when his mother was asking him about, well, about the occupied lands or the occupied territories. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're basically treating the Red Paladin like an invading army. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he's being assaulted on, on two fronts by two different invading armies. Mm -hmm. and, and he has to deal with it. And he has to exert some force and show some power. Yeah. Which he hadn't shown up until this point. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Right. <laughs> I asked for this four episodes ago, dude. Well, yeah, better late I, than never. I mean, I guess, but it's like it, it took it took him staying, like killing his mom to actually grow set balls. But I mean, you know, to each his own. So going back to Grammar, um, and going back to Morgana and Nimaway, um, and the dead dog. And the dead dog, but I mean, just even before that, uh, you know, Morgana and Nimue are walking, and Morgana is giving Nimue counsel, and it's obvious that something in Morgana has changed. Like, she is, at this point, she's out for blood. You know, she's basically um, counseling Nimue to... Um, take control of the situation. She's like, you control the hidden. You can use them. She was like, we've already taken Grammaire. We need to take Hawksbridge next. And Nimue is like, Hawksbridge? She was like, I need to get the, the Fae to safety. You know, that's her only thing. And Morgana's like, no, we need to strike now. We need to take Hawksbridge. And you can use the Hidden and the Sword to basically eliminate all the Red Paladins. Like, she is out for blood. She's basically telling Nimue to kill. And Nimue says, you know, when, when she tells her to use the sword, Nimue says, so you want me to become a monster? And Morgana responds with, we cannot hide from our true nature. 
And Nimue just looks at her like, I don't believe you just said that to me. And she walks off. And that's right before Morgana sees the dead dog. But it's kind of like, when I saw this part, I was like, oh, so Morgana is like, I don't want to say bloodthirsty, but she's not about, I mean, she's always been about saving the Fae making sure they are safe but she's never outright said we need to kill them and that's pretty much what she was doing in this scene and it's just such a a change from who we were introduced to her as i mean she was a she was a nun you know she was also you know charged with saving people taking care of people and for her to do this complete 180 and now she's like yeah kill them kill them all it's just kind of like Oh, she's about to start doing some really dark stuff. She's about to go down this dark path, which we we already knew this was going to happen, um, especially after the last couple of episodes with the Kaliak and with her supposed destiny to become the, the greatest sorceress in all of the land. But it's kind of like, I feel like it came on pretty quickly. Like, it's we're not even getting a transition into this new Morgana. Like she has she has in this episode she has lost her temper. She has been more forceful. She has been more not mean spirited, but it's just kind of like she I'm trying to think of the best way like more Morgana's not with the shits. I mean I think that's the best way to say it. She's like, okay, this is what we need to do, bam, bam, bam. She's also trying to make sure that Nimue does not give up this sword for anything. Um, you know, and and it's just kind of like she's like, Okay, yeah, if we gotta kill some folks in order for you to stay queen, keep the sword, and that's just what we gotta do. And it's just like whoa. I would not want to be on Morgana's bad side right now. Right. <laughs> I would not so, want to be on her bad side right now. <laughs> I think Morgana has seen, like, I think, I want to say she sort of had a glimpse into what magic can, and magic can do. Mm-hmm. And so she's looking at the sword, and now she's seen um, Nimue use it twice. Right. And now she's like, okay, well, now that you have this power, now that you know how to use it, then you should use it. And I, so I understand where Morgana is coming from, but yeah. I do think a little bit of it is the influence that that her encounter with the Kaliak has um, has um, had on her. Yeah, yeah. The Kaliak is definitely a spirit of aggression because, like, even going back to when they were in the cave, and and it's like you can see that even the the effect the effect that Kate had on them way as far as her seeing it and being being aggressive enough to to realize how to have realize how bad sword is and to throw it. It's like it's a it's a spirit of aggression and like just spontaneity like spontaneity is. But and I don't think Nimue they, even if Nimue it didn't occur to Morgana that even if Nimue wanted to do that, she's not She's she's not powerful enough to really, to take on that many people. I mean, she was worn out and and like almost drained to death after taking on those few 
those few paladins in the forest mm-hmm. and, and and cutting the one paladin in half i mean that uh, that took a lot out of her right even even though she got stabbed I mean, it still drained her a lot and she would have to go probably 10 20 times that to take care of everybody that was coming after her, the paladins and Uth and pendragon's guard mm-hmm. so i mean that really wasn't i i think maybe not maybe not aggression but just yeah, it's it's kind of like just like speaking off the cuff like i guess it's aggression just like saying go for it go for it go for it and like it's like making because that's what happened to all the troops like they started like attacking each other it's just like the spirit of aggression and like not having any anything holding you back mm-hmm. is like what it is and is then that's what she was trying to convey to Nimue. And Nimue is like, um, no, we're not doing that. And she just didn't. She she couldn't really fathom that because she still she had that spirit in her. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I know. Nimue is just Nimue's got. She's got a lot of hard decisions at this point to make, and she's got people coming at her from all sides. Um, you know. Next scene after this, um, we see Merlin has arrived at Gormare. He's brought before Nimue. Um, and she reveals his identity and his relationship to her to Arthur, Morgana, and Pym for the first time. And Pym, <laughs> Mike is like, yay, Pym, we're talking about Pym. But Pym is so funny because when she finds out that, you know, when, when, when Nimue says, this is Merlin the Magician, my father... Pam starts giggling. She's like, oh, I snorted an almond. I was like, that's, that's such a Pam thing to do. But then she's like, oh, my God, you're serious. Like, what? How did I not know this, you know? But, Mer- awesome. yeah, it was. She, 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 she reminded, and this, you'll get this, she reminded me of Ron Weasley. You know what? And that's probably why I like her, because Ron is my favorite Harry Potter character. So and and we the, the look on her face, the, yes, and the way that she did it was it was wrong all the way. And she's exactly, a ginger. Exactly what happened. We we've been saying that when when yeah. Mike and I first recorded when we when we tried to do the the uh, like the curse recording at first, we both said the same thing. We were like, okay, she, I mean, she's Faye. She's got a little bit of magic in her. She she's got to be a Weasley. Like she's a cousin, like twice, you know, three times removed. I mean, she's ginger. She she has a little bit of the same kind of uh, personality as Ron. So yeah, th- that's probably why I like her because she does remind me of, of his character. Yes, all the qualifications to be a Weasley. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. In- including the heart of gold. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> but um, so Merlin, when he comes to Nimue, he is coming to her with the. Um, offer of protection from King Cumber, but of course the stipulation is she will have protection from him, but it will be as his prisoner. So she won't be free. She'll have to give up the sword. And then again, there is no there is no um, stipulation for protection for the Fae. And so Nimue declines the protection, um, and and Morgana and Arthur kind of agree with her, you know, because they're basically like, if you give yourself up to him, you'll become his bargaining chip. 
And both of them are like, no. And Nimue is like, well, both of my advisors agree, and that's rare. So, <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm not going to do this. Um, and, she, you know, she basically invites Merlin to stay. And... Um, because he's still recovering from an open gaping chest wound that he had. Yes, but she does not know point. this. She just notes that he looks tired, which he does. But, you know, you've been riding for however however long you've been riding and then you've been riding with a hole in your chest so yeah i'm pretty sure merlin's about to fall out somewhere but um oh <laughs> so going back to iris real quick so we <laughs> right before this scene we get this little weird scene with iris where she's in whatever house or wherever she is and she's hitting her head up against the wall and she's talking to herself. And she's like, kill her, kill her, I'll burn you. And she's got a candle with an open flame and she's holding her hand over the open flame, burning herself. And she takes it back and she's like, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it. And it's like, I don't know if she thinks she's talking to God or if she's talking to herself or if she has a split personality. But at this point, it's very clear this girl is touched in the head, which we already knew this. We've been saying it, but it's kind of like in this particular scene. We yeah, this was Gollum like. Yeah, I was getting Gollum vibes. Straight up Gollum. Yes. Kill her. Oh, we But we have to kill her. Okay, I have to kill her. I have to kill her. Oh God, she's off. It I'm was. Not, I'm not strong enough, but I'll burn you. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll kill her. <laughs> it was just, it was just so weird. And then I'm going to go ahead to her next scene because we only see her twice in this episode. So after this scene, later on, she, um, she comes across Pim. And she doesn't know who Pim is. She just knows that Pim lives in the castle. And she approaches her and she was like, she was like, my lady, can I, can I, uh, you know, can I, can I get a job with you? Can I cook for you? Can I clean for you or whatever? And Pim's like, I, I do all this stuff myself. And she's like, I'm, I just need, I just need the work to help my father. My father's sick and he's dying. I just need the help. And Pim is like, I, I, I don't need anybody to do this. I do this on my own. And she says, so my father's supposed to just die then? And Pim's like, what? No. And then it's like, Iris doesn't want to. She's like, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those who can pass for human. And Pim is looking at her like, the fuck is wrong with this bitch? Like, she's looking, she's looking at her like, okay, this girl is crazy. And, you know, Iris basically says to her, she said, you know, you're not human. And it's just obvious, like, she has this this hate for Faye. And Pim just looks at her, and she's like, she's basically like, screw you, you know? Piss off. Oh, and she oh, keep, oh, and, and oh, she goes, Were, did that make you happy, Lori? <laughs> okay, first of all, if there's ever a time to go tell somebody that there might be a problem, this is the time to do it, Okay. Sorry. Yeah, like, there's a crazy girl in the courtyard, and, like, all she was trying to do, she was trying to get access to the castle. She was like, okay, well, even if you don't need somebody, you know, you can just get me into the castle. Nobody will notice with all those people. I was like, okay, that should be your 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 clue right there, that this girl is touched in the head, that she has something going on, because she was just way too, she was too she, aggressive about it. She tried everything she could think of. And the thing is, is that Pim was slowly kind of looking back. Kinda, I'm like, okay, you know, you pick up your skirts in the medieval times and you run toward yeah. the rectory or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. That's the time to do it. I'm sorry. I'm 
sitting there going, you don't think that's strange. You, you, you need to tell somebody. I don't care who it is. Um, Nimway would be good. Arthur is second. Maybe not Morgana, but you need to tell someone <laughs> now. Right. Even offhand, it's just be like, well, I had the weirdest thing. This chick was trying to get right. crazy chick was trying to get into the castle, and and she was know. being quite pushy about it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I was just like, I mean, she switched on a dime too. She oh, was yes. from being humble, like, please, can I have, please, can you help me? She's like, oh, you're, oh, you're one of the devils. You're not like us. You're not like us. And I was like, Ooh. right. And Pam's just like, piss off, like, go somewhere. And she just turns around, she walks off, and I'm like, this girl, like, I think she she's getting to the point where she hasn't reached her goal, and now she can't even get close to Nimue. She's going to lose it, and she's going to be even more dangerous than she's been thus far, and that's saying something considering she's already burned a whole building full of people to death. For her to be more dangerous than that, that's that's a scary thought. But, I mean, we've known this from the first episode that we saw her, that this chick was going to be a problem. And it's like, whew. Well, well Hanukkah, first of all, anybody can burn down anything. Left eye burnt down Andrew Rice's house. I mean, come on. It's not that hard, okay? <laughs> if she can do it, anybody can do it, okay? Make sure you rest in peace. I'm just saying. <laughs> But nobody was in the house when when she burned down uh, the mansion. Well, it was, what was it, Nike's in the bathtub, something like that? Exactly. Like, she wasn't trying to burn down the house. She was just trying to, she was just trying to, you know, she was just a little pissed off and it just happened to, like she said, that bathtub was not the right kind of bathtub to be setting a fire in, you know? So it's kind of like. way different kind of crazy than Left Eye was. I mean. This is true. Yeah, left eye was just a pissed girlfriend. Iris, hold totally. She's like homicidal in the name of the Lord. This is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. She's that kind of jaded, messed up. But the outfit that she was wearing, I was cracking up because it was so pure. So I'm a little peasant girl. I need your help. Yeah, I mean, she... She had the right gear, okay? She just picked the wrong person. Now, Percival, Squirrel, he's on to her. He knows that something's not right. Prim didn't know. Maybe she should tell someone. But anyone else, I mean, the, the fact that she keeps... Okay, what was that thing? I forget what it was. Where you... you uh, oh, Roadrunner with the... Uh, you know, with the acne, with the thing. You get so close <laughs> and then you can't do it. Yes. Yeah, it's sort of like that. But I feel really bad for her because I have a feeling that she's one of these people that if she can't get her goal, then she's going to turn it on to somebody else and it's going to be bad for somebody else because she can't get her end game. Yeah. You know? So, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I've got one more episode left to watch, but I have a funny feeling that if she doesn't get her goal, She's going to go off on anyone who's near. I'm just going to say that last episode is a doozy. So, yeah, we, we will have plenty to talk about with that one. But um, we're going to move on because, um, as we saw in the last episode, uh, Gwen has been captured by the Grey Monk. And he is he has been taken to Father Cardin. And Father Cardin, you know, kind of starts taunting 
Gawain. You know, he's like, oh, you're the Green Knight. Oh, you know, you're going to tell us everything we want about your queen. And Gawain's sitting there silent. And he says, oh, we have a way of dealing with you quiet people. You know, we're going to introduce you to Brother Saul and, and, and his kitchens. And Gawain says, oh, you want me to say, you want me to talk, Father Carter? He was like, because I got plenty to say. I can tell. There's a whole bunch of secrets I can say. And he turns and he looks pointedly at the gray monk because he now knows that the gray monk is fey and father Father carden has a visitor from the pope right he that abbot wicklock is there and of course father carden doesn't want this news getting out so he tells them to take gwen away and um you know abbot wicklock is kind of looking like what is going on but of course they they don't mention it again within them but Gawain is taken to Brother Salt, who is a blind, one of the blind red paladins. And um, his kitchens is basically, uh, he has instruments of torture. And this is what Brother Salt is known for. He is known for torturing information out of people. Which, again, considering that these are supposed to be religious people doing work in the name of the Lord, that's kind of contradictory. But again, it's kind of not um, surprising given what we see um, from these times when religious zealots are portrayed. Like, they will go to whatever lengths they have to. Yeah, but the thing is, even at that time, it wasn't the, just the religious zealots. It was pretty much like the Spanish Inquisition wasn't yeah. all religious yeah. zealots. And, yeah. and if you think about it, all the torture devices that were created were all created pretty much by the church, <laughs> you know, for torturing, you know, trying to find her- heretics and witches and all that good stuff. Right. Ray Charles with branding irons. That was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, He's like an awesome actor. He's, he is. And I it's like. I thought it was Tony Todd for a second. I was like, oh God, he's almost just like Tony Todd. His, his voice like, sounded his, like his it. His voice timber and like the pace that he talked mm-hmm. in is just it's like you could just, you could imagine him taking his time and just like branding you with Michael and Gabriel and all the archangels all over Man. your body. And he's going to teach you while he's doing it. He's going to teach right. you. Right. He's one of those that's going to, he's going to monologue while he's torturing you. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we see, like, later on in the episode, we we go back to that to that particular scene um, and he he's, you know, kind of commending Gawain. He was like, okay, this one doesn't break easily. I'm going to go have some soup and come back. And we see Gawain has, like, black eyes. He's got brands in his chest. He's been sliced. He's been cut. And not to mention, he's still, he's still dealing with a hole in his side from where the gray monk stabbed him. So he's, he's being tortured, but he's, he's, um... You know, he's withstanding all of this. He hasn't said anything yet. So, Brother Salt leaves, and in comes Squirrel. Like, Squirrel has followed them to the tent. I mean, he's followed them to the the Paladin's camp. He figures out where Gawain is, and he comes in, and he tries to rescue Gawain. And Gawain is like, what are you doing here? No, you got to get out of here. And Squirrel is determined. He's like, no, I'm not leaving you. He's trying to cut him free, and Gawain... Gawain calls him by his given name, Percival. There you go, Anthony. You've been saying it. You've been saying it. 
But he basically I tells mean, him he's like. No, he's not pretending. Well, do, do you see the smirk on his face? He he is vindicated. I, I feel vindicated. I told you it's gonna be Percival or, or Lancelot. It's gonna or, be one of them. Right. So. Benavir. I thought it was gonna be Benavir, but I should have seen Yeah, but we find out Squirrel is Percival, and Gawain basically makes him stop. And I mean, that's the thing that makes him stop because he is furiously trying to get Gawain out of here. And Gawain tells him. I can't walk. And so, you know, brother, brother Salt must have, like, maybe put some hot pokers in his legs or something. But he says he, can, he can't walk. He can't run. He can't escape. And Squirrel is still like, I can't. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. And he tells him, he says, Nimue needs you. And that's the only thing that makes Squirrel stop. And Gawain tells him to kneel. And he basically knights him as, you know, he makes him a knight of the Fae. And Squirrel is crying and he's, you know, he's just like, he's trying to be brave. And Gawain says to him, I wish I had a hundred soldiers like you. And this is, this is something we have said from the beginning. And I have said, this is why Squirrel is one of my favorite characters. He is so brave. He is like, he is a whole different type of character than that we've seen on this show. And even in the next few moments, he, you know, Gawain is trying to get him to leave and he gets captured by Brother Salt. So Squirrel is taken to Father Cardin and Father Cardin is like, how many more people do you have? He was like, enough to beat you with. And he spits in Father Cardin's face. And then he turns around to Brother Salt and he was like, he has a knife in his hand. He's like, I'll gouge your eyes out. Which, unfortunately, is not much of a threat because apparently this has already happened to Brother Salt. So he shows Squirrel his face and Squirrel looks shocked. But at the same time, he's still being brave. He's like, you know, he's, he's still trying to fight. And Father Cardin basically, uh, you know, he, he's taking him to Brother Salt. Oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to let him go to his kitchens. And the Great Monk happens to see who has been captured and when father cardin orders that squirrel be taken to brother salt for interrogation he tries to step in he says but he's just a boy and father cardin tells the paladins to take him and then he comes and he strikes great monk in the face like why would you embarrass me like that like why would you say that because again the abbot is sitting right there and this is the first sign of weakness or compassion that the great monk has had but also um before that you know um the the great monk actually goes in and talks to Gawain before squirrel finds him and they have um they have a little bit of a conversation and the great monk says, why didn't you tell them? You know, why didn't you tell them about me? And at this moment, it's very clear that Father Cardin is the only person who knows that the great monk is Fay, Because when Gawain threatened to out him earlier, you know, great monk was kind of looking at him. And then when he didn't say anything, he was kind of confused. And Gawain tells him, he said, because all fair brothers, even the lost ones. And he starts trying to speak to Gawain to try to, you know, he was like, you know, your part, well, we find out a little bit about Grey Monk's background because apparently, because of his eyes, Gawain is able to tell that he is part of the Ash Folk. 
And he says the ash folk haven't been in those lands in hundreds of years. So he's like, where did you come from? How did you end up here? And Grey Monk kind of, you know, he, he diverts the questions. And, um, you know, Gawain is trying to appeal to him. He's like, you know, you've been, you know, how did they find you? How did you end up here? They have twisted your mind. They've turned you against your own kind. It's not too late for you to come back. And you can kind of see, it's kind of like Grey Monk is almost having a war with himself because I think he's not used to being shown kindness. And Gawain even says that to him. And he said, you've been with them for so long, you take, you mistake kindness for cruelty. You know, he's like, I'm not being mean to you. I'm telling you that the, we are your people. You're turning your back against your people. It's not too late. You can you can join us. You can help us. And it's just kind of like the gray monk. I feel like he's at war with himself at this point because I don't think he expected that from Gawain. He's probably heard all kinds of things from Father Cardin about what the fate are and, you know, Maybe that they're cruel or maybe that they're, uh, you know, they're a threat or whatever. But you can see him visibly at war with himself. This is 100% like Darth... I mean, the Grey Monk is 100% Darth Vader right now because he is really conflicted and... He's not Darth Vader. He's Anakin. <laughs> you have to make the distinction. Let me finish. Hold on. Hold on. There you go. Now, the, the, when he was talking at first, when they first brought Gawain in there... Mm -hmm. Father Cardin was giving me Emperor vibes, and and the Great Monk was giving me giving me Vader vibes because because he was talking all this stuff, and you could see in the background the Great Monk was kind of looking at it because he was like, "Yes, we're gonna the the Father Cardin was saying, yeah, we're gonna wipe the scourge from the face of the earth, and uh, and he was talking all this stuff about the fate, and you could see you could see him looking out the corner of his eye like like wait. Like, and, like it was starting to affect him like it hadn't affected him before but now that he had gotten with all these other faith that it was starting to affect him and I feel like it was it's kind of a flip but the way that it, this, it reminds me of the scene where he was where like Luke was talking to Vader in Return of the Jedi at, right before the final fight and he was trying to turn him and convince him that that he, he shouldn't be the way he Okay, can. okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. That, that, that's kind of how I see it because it's like you could still, he still had the darkness in him, but he was starting to, but you, you could see the cracks starting to come in his composure, mm -hmm. like in how he was feeling. So it's that that's the, that's the Vader vibe that I was getting. I, I understand the Anakin stuff because I've yeah. said that before. I, I compared that before, like when he first started, but I, I'm really getting Vader vibes from him right now. I get it that and that that comparison does make sense. But the other thing, I feel like maybe I feel like maybe the gray monk is starting to be conflicted because before all of the fae was just it was they were just the enemy, you know? Right. And it's like with other. right, and with Gawain, like one, you you're putting a face to the name and and to the person then two, you have someone who now knows who, who and what you are now knows that you are one of them. So it's kind of like, I feel like with that truth about him being exposed to another Fae, like maybe he has a little bit of guilt 
in him for the first time now because it's not just you know it's different being with the red paladins because the red paladins don't know what he is except for father Cardin. so you know going out and killing these nameless fae is nothing you don't have anybody to hold you accountable but now there is someone there who knows who you are and can hold you accountable and i think he feels maybe just a tiny bit of guilt because of that now you know and maybe that's kind of what's, what's making him you know doubt himself well i think you you also touched on something earlier when you said that he um when when Gwen didn't turn him in mm-hmm. and he showed him kindness and he showed him you know that I'm not the cruel monster you think I am and I think that that got into his head because like you didn't turn me in you you tried to fight me but you had the opportunity to turn me because even when they were fighting when he saw it happen he was like oh wait mm-hmm. and that kind of distracted him for a second right so now he's like who who are you and why aren't you like mad at me why aren't you upset why aren't you trying to kill me no because you're my brother right you know, no matter what even the lost ones yeah you're still also, my I'm also starting to wonder what happened to his to the ash people that that the type of fate that he is I'm wondering if they had a fight with the other type of fate or something like that to make it easier for him to kill other fate like there had to be something with his people that made it that didn't that made it not as difficult to kill other types of fate than it really would be. I'm wondering if there's something something with that too. Well, I, I mean, don't give them too much credit. curiosity coming out. Don't give them too yeah. much credit. Well, the other thing too is you know like like we say, Gawain says that 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 kind of fate. Um, they haven't been in that area for hundreds of years. He was like for centuries. So it it's also possible that wherever the Ash folk were and where uh, the Green Monk came from, maybe he wasn't maybe he wasn't raised around other Fae. You know, so that it, it just maybe it's a little bit more disconnecting for him. But also the thing when when he's talking to Gawain, Gawain says something about, you know, killing you know the women, the the men, women, children, and he says, "I never, I never hurt the kids." And in his mind, him not hurting the kids makes makes it not as bad, you know, with what he's doing. And then Gawain says, "But you raid their villages, you kill their mothers and fathers, and then you stand by while the red paladins run them down. That makes you just as guilty." And I don't think he. It's almost like he never considered that before. He thought that because he directly didn't kill the, the, the children, that that was one part of him that wasn't tainted or wasn't corrupt or evil. You know, he thinks that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing as far as cleansing the faith. And he feels like him not touching the children is keeping his mission pure. But when Gawain puts it in those terms... You know, and says, no, even though you don't touch them personally, the fact that you stand by while your brethren, while your paladin brethren do, that makes you just as guilty. And I don't think that ever, like, clicked for him before. I'm, I'm going to give the writers some, a little bit more credit. <laughs> what? Because I was thinking maybe he didn't kill 
he didn't harm children because he remembers being a child and maybe something happened to him, his family, or maybe something happened ah. to his people. And, and he was a child, and so he understands, you know, how important that is. I, I mean, I was just thinking, maybe that's how he, he feels like. He was that child once. He wouldn't want He didn't want to die then, so he's not going to be killing your children mm. because he knows how they feel. Okay. And that, that's what I was thinking. Mm. Okay. That actually, that that's a good theory, you know, because, again, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know how long he's been with Father Cardin, but it's, I mean, it's kind of obvious to us he he's had to have been with Father Cardin since childhood in order for him to be so indoctrinated into Father Cardin's bullshit, you know. Um, so that might be a good thing. I mean, maybe even the paladins were the ones who, who killed the Ash folk and, you know, he just doesn't remember that part, you know, or something. So I don't know. It's, it's sort of like the people that did Stargate Atlantis, where they have an episode where you had a uh, a doctor, a medical doctor, who was trying to raise a rape child as human, and he had conditioned her to the point where she was almost human. But when she got around the other Stargate people, and she started getting to be a teenager, the tendencies came out mm -hmm. and the village wanted to come after her because she couldn't do it anymore even though she was trying mm -hmm. and she realized that not only was she brave but the people on that particular planet that Stargate Atlantis was at had tortured and killed uh, her people because they feared them when they got hold of her because rape was such a bad thing. So it could be something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. There, there's some childhood trauma that he has had or witness or whatever because if you were raised from childhood and that's your only quote-unquote parent you're you're going to be that one there's he, he didn't get it when he was 12 he got it when he was five right right <sighs> but yeah so now we've got Gawain captured by the paladins squirrel my baby squirrel is captured <sighs> Yes, personal. He's squirrel. He's squirrel. Whatever. He's squirrel. But, um, uh, yeah, so we just, we're going to have to see what happens with them in the next episode. We only have one episode left, the finale. And um, so I guess we'll find out what happens with them there. Um, going back to Grammaire. So with food rations kind of diminishing, um, there's tensions between the Fey people and the human people of Grimaire. And um, there's a confrontation in the streets between some of the Tusk members of the Fey and a human person. And what, what spurs the dispute is the human person has a red cross um, painted on their door. And at this point right now, we don't know why the red cross is there. And apparently something about it offends the Tusks because they're pointing at it while they're kind of fussing at this human in their native language. He doesn't understand them, but he does realize that they are threatening him. And so he pulls a knife to try to defend himself. And one of the Tusk, um, one of the tusk guys um, basically beats him to death. And Nimue is told about it a few hours later. And she has the, the Tusks and his, um, the head of his clan brought to him. Brought, uh, excuse me, brought to her and 
she asks him about it and she basically gives them she says you do realize the red paladins were um occupying Grimmere before we took it and they say yes and he's and she says well um the red paladins were murdering non-christians so the humans painted red crosses on their doors to protect their families you know and and this is this is what they were doing and also we told you every nobody was to touch the humans nobody was supposed to bother them you guys were supposed to leave them alone and the um lord Hector, of course he has to open up his mouth and say something and the um the tux the tusk guy tries to attack um lord Hector, and he's held back and Nimue approaches him and you know she is angry because they've killed another person and she she had ordered her people not to do anything and this Tusk guy is very openly defiant to her. You know, he's he's basically kind of mocking her when she's saying, I gave you orders, uh, you disobey orders from your queen. He starts, like, kind of scoffing at her and laughing at her. And she tells him, she says, what is that on your hands? And he's looking like, you know, he's looking at his hands and he says, man blood. And she has the sword in her hand and you can hear, as soon as he says man blood, like, all the whispering starts. And again, he starts mocking her, and she says, oh, you think this is funny? He starts laughing, and she uses the sword, and she cuts off both of his hands. Hands and, off. I mean, just... <laughs> your hands off the humans. <laughs> and, you know, she basically, she's like, she was like, if you disobey me again, I'll have your head. And, you know, they take him away. The hands are there on the ground. She tells she tells Arthur and uh, whoever else is left in there. She was like, "Take his hands and hang them on the gates." I, you know, basically as a warning to everyone else that this is not going to stand. But after that, she goes to see Merlin, and he can see immediately that something is wrong with her. She's holding the sword, and she comes in. She's obviously distraught, and she just looks at him and says, "Is this was, is this what it was like?" And he immediately knows what she's what she's saying and you know he tells her yes and and they have a conversation and she basically tells him about the offers that she's gotten from Cumber and and uh, well not from Cumber but from Uther that she give herself up in the sword and he will protect the Fae people and Merlin is basically trying to convince her you can't save the Fae he was like this is the age of man and he basically starts telling her you know, we were here first and then man followed and then we, you know, we went, I think he said they started in the, the, the rivers and man followed and then they went to the, to the trees and then man started cutting down the trees and then they went to the forest and then they went to the caves and then they went to the swamps. And he's basically like everywhere we go, man follows. It's not our time now. And so she's basically like, so what, I'm just supposed to let, I'm just supposed to let everybody die and, and Merlin is pretty much telling her I don't care about the fate I care about you I want to protect you you know and and she's she's telling him this this is not your call you can't do this I have to save my people and he's just like no you don't it, it's over it's done but of course she doesn't you know she doesn't accept that and as we see later on in the episode she's sitting in the throne room with a letter and Arthur comes in and she basically tells him, we, we got a letter from King Uther. He says that he will give the Fae ships 
but I have to give myself and the sword of the author. This is the other scene where we see Arthur at his best. He's basically like, nope, nope, not happening. I'm not leaving you. You're not doing this. And she's convincing him. She's trying to convince him this is the only way they can save the Fae. And he's still telling her, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. And she's like, you have to. I need you to protect the Fae. And it's like at this moment, she is basically telling him, I trust you enough, I have enough faith in you that I am leaving the fate of my people in your protection so that I can do this. And he just breaks down. And it's like one of the sweetest moments on the show. And then, finally, Mike, he gets it. <laughs> they finally... They finally, finally get together. They finally make love. They finally seal their relationship. But it's but again, this this one scene. He's already ripped. I'm just saying. I mean, it's just. I, it, it, I mean, now he has a reason. If this would have happened earlier, then I'd be like, okay, I understand why he would have done that. Because I actually listened. Because you just posted the episode, and I actually listened to it, and I was like, I was even more more convinced that I was right that he was that he was pussy without getting the pussy. But now that he has. I'm like, okay, now you can be however you want to be. Yeah, because, but I. But uh, but again, I think. To me, that kind of that kind of makes me respect his character more. The fact that he can be this driven, that he can be this committed, without having that as a reason. Like and, you and know, having Nimue see him, and having Nimue trust him enough to exactly. open himself up like that. Exactly, it's huge. Yeah, but then that that kind of opens up like okay, so how does Guinevere come in? We we ain't even we ain't, we we don't even know about a Guinevere right now. Just leave that alone. We we ain't we ain't worried about Guinevere. This is about Nimue and Merlin. I mean Nimue and Arthur. So, but you know, again, this was this was the other like really really good scene with Arthur because when when she tells him this, he absolutely breaks down. And I mean, it's not just a lone tear here and. Like, he is full out sobbing, like, I can't let you do this, but I know I have no choice. And then the fact that she trusts him enough to, you know, to leave the fate of her, or of her people in his hands to know that he will protect them, you know, it's just, it's a lot. And I think it's, it's the validation that Arthur has been looking for all of this time. It's the, not necessarily the honor, but just the fact that someone believes in him enough, you know, that someone thinks that he is a worthy enough person. Just the realization of all of that and the culmination of it and to see how he reacts to it in the scene, I, like, it, it touched me. It broke me down. I was just like, oh. This is what we needed. This is yeah, where this, we have been wanting Arthur to be. Like this is this is Arthur on the path to who he's supposed to be. Don't be looking at me like that, Anthony. Anthony's sitting there laughing. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. This is what we've been waiting for funny. Arthur to be. This it is what we've is. all it been is, waiting it's for. Him. It's, it's just like because because oh, writing. He's going to say is how he was written because that's how they've been keeping him up to becoming because they, like in the, in the episode 7, they downgraded Gawain and lifted him up. Yes, they did. Fine. Mm -hmm. But this is where he actually, they're actually showing that he's getting honor. And honor is a very important thing for a king to have. 
and the trust of the trust of pe- the trust of certain people in his life and showing that he's a changed person from the from the quote unquote street rat kind of person that he was when he stole the sword looking for honor honor actually came to him this time instead of him going out and actively seeking it and looking for it and saying I want my honor I want to be I want you to look at me as someone who's honorable mm-hmm. he actually earned it as opposed to going after it going after it and trying to get it as in in less than honorable ways right yeah but but I did constantly remind myself that the show is about her not about him mm-hmm. so I have to kind of always step back and be like okay well they don't have to worry about leaving room to grow for him because his character is what his character is going to be. But it, he's not the central focus of the show. Right. So they can have him grow and be whatever they need him to be because he's not the main person. You know, we do know when the story ends, but it's their story to get us there. And this is how they want to tell it. So. Right. But I, I, I am glad we did have that scene. But now it's kind of like, whoo, so we only have one episode left. And the only other thing that happened in this episode that we haven't talked about. So the last, the final scene of this episode, um, Father Cardin walks into his tent and Itis, the first daughter of Cumber, the Ice King, um, is there. And she's basically saying, you sent word to my father for an alliance. He agrees. So now we've got, you know, Father Paladin, I mean, excuse me, Father Cardin is now allied with King Cumber, who is trying to take the throne from Uther. So it's kind of like, okay, Uther, yeah, you kind of spat in, you know, Father Cardin's face. Is this going to bite you in the ass later on? Because now he is—he has allied himself with the person who is challenging your throne. So, obviously, this is going to come to a head. We've, we've only got one episode ne- uh, left in the season. And there there's a lot to be resolved. And I have a feeling if, if, that, if next episode is even half as um, busy as this episode was, if they put half as much story into that episode as they did in this episode it's gonna like i said it's it's gonna be a doozy to watch like there's so much to resolve and it just uh, it's it's just so much it's so much yeah but i really like i really like how far they've come with the story. I feel like the last few episodes, you know, the first few episodes, we all agree was were kind of slow and they were, you know, of course they were character building, they were world build, building for us, but the last few episodes have been um, very rich with uh, story and, you know, background on the characters and just building up to where we're supposed to be. And it's just, it's really gotten good. You know, I I almost want to say the thing that has really made the difference has been the acting. I mean, we've seen some really good performances in the last couple of episodes, Mm -hmm. and they may be carrying the show just through their sheer acting. Um, Morgana, Arthur, Iris, Squirrel, don't forget about Squirrel. Squirrel, (laughs) brother, they're just. They're doing such an outstanding job with the material. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen shows where people have done their best 
you know, with poor material, and they make it good. And these guys, it's, it's almost as if they finally figured out what their characters are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So their performances have, have gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're starting to transcend the writing. Yeah, I agree. Especially Iris. It's crazy, crazy bitch. <sighs> it's so, you know, it's a, it's a slow burn. And I have to admit, it's so quietly good. I almost don't want to watch the last episode because I don't want to end. You know, it's just that good. I know, and then, far as I can tell, um, we don't have any word yet on whether or not there's going to be a second season, and that kind of, that bothers me. The absolute worst, yeah. You know, I mean, we probably will find out maybe after the first of the year, because this was a summer series, you know, it premiered on Netflix, I believe, in in either June or July, so I would assume if it's coming back for a second season, it would probably next summer unless, you know, COVID restrictions kind of push it back. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't heard anything on a second season yet. But I would really like to know if we're getting a second season because the show is good, you know, and I would like to see where they're going to go from here. You know, especially now we, we know we have a Percival we we see we see these characters for this this round table starting to kind of fall into place and and we still have i mean oh my no, God. and and i mean knowing what's coming in the next episode there there's a lot they tie up a lot in the final episode but they also leave us with questions that push us into what a season 2 um, we'll cover. So I'm really, really hoping that we do get a season two and that we get news of that um, sooner rather than later. You know, I don't, I don't want to yeah. sit on pins and needles for the next couple of months wondering if this show is going to continue. You know. Well, they have money because the order got canceled, so <laughs> they have the money. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I have a problem with Netflix putting out. Really good seasons of a couple of shows, and then canceling. It's like they're 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 like what fox all over again. But you know, I I I do have to say, I mean, we have to take into account the fact that COVID might be messing a lot of this up, and that's why some of that's these shows true. are getting canceled. So maybe once we can get this pandemic under control, maybe they can kind of revisit these shows and. And and get them, you know, um, get them back on. I, I do know, like, in Canada, just, I and I know this just from watching Supernatural, because Supernatural films in Canada, um, for American actors coming into Canada, they have to do a very strict quarantine. Like, they, right. they, they have to be in a, like, a hotel room for 14 days, completely alone. They can't leave for any reason whatsoever and that might make it harder for some of the actors to come in and work especially actors with families or actors who may you know have whatever so Jason did a did a a podcast with Michael Rosenbaum on his podcast inside of me a couple weeks ago about a month ago and he was talking about 14 and it was so funny because he was like I got to figure out how to use Instacart. I was laughing. It was so funny. Yeah. I'm by myself and I have to buy groceries. And 
he was explaining about how people said supernatural and how they were doing different things. And he said that one of the things he wanted to do is that when they finished filming, he goes, I want to just drive back home. There's no plane, no train. I just want to get in a car and drive. He was like, I'm going to up. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, check out Michael Rosenbaum. He, he, he interviews both Jensen and Jared, I'd say, at least every six months because they're actually personal friends. Yeah. So they're always show on show. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know. Th- that may be why we're getting so many because I've I've been hearing just in the last few weeks a lot of shows that I've heard nothing but good things about being canceled. And I, I can only think of that it has to be because of COVID, because of the restrictions and of course now the cases are starting to go up again. And, you know, I know that we're probably going to get another spike, you know, this week is Thanksgiving week and there are a lot of people who are traveling and you know, so but they can only push prediction. They can only push prediction for so long. Right. Before, right. Yeah. You know, before yeah. someone says, you know, I gotta take a job somewhere else. Right. Exactly. And, so and that's that's what happens. They start losing cat. They start losing crew. You know, to other jobs that right. that are paying instead of them sitting around waiting to find out what's gonna happen. Right. So I'm hoping that a lot of these shows that are good that have been canceled. Um, we'll be able to find a second life once this pandemic is over. And I hope that curse does not become one of the casualties of this pandemic. I mean, this pandemic is already taking so much from us um, in the world of entertainment. And, you know, conventions have been canceled and shows and performances. And it's just, it's already, it's already taking a lot from us. So just... You know, leave the good stuff alone. Let let us. You know, we 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 just need to find a way to to kind of you know keep those things alive and happening. So hopefully, like I said, hopefully Curse won't be one of those casualties because I'm really really enjoying this show, and I would yeah. love to see what they do for a season two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Plus, there are, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot. Of, I mean, we're only in the in the infancy of. Arthurian legend, like, like I mean, it's like Arthur isn't even like close to being a king yet. Right. Like, yeah. We're, we're way in the early stages of this. Yeah. But it's so, but I, I, you know, whether we have issues with some of the writing or not, it's a really good story. I keep, I yeah, I keep going back to the one that I didn't like because I thought it was going to be good, and that was Letter to the King. I had so much, so high, so much high hopes for that. I mean. Letter to the King, it started out awesome. I get an episode and a half in, I'm like, ah, oh, crap, this is gonna suck. And it did! I mean, <laughs> it has moments of brilliance, but then it just looked dead. Yeah. So, I don't know. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully we'll get a season two. What do you guys hope to see in the finale? We've only got one episode left. Well, I want to see what Morgana has done with that dead dog. Like, does she get any studying, you know, death and disease? And, and the spider was crawling over about, it. Yeah, something about, you know, there's power in death. So we'll see. I want to see where that goes. Okay. I, uh, what I really want to see, but probably isn't going to happen, is Father Card gets smacked upside the head with something. I'm about, I'm about sick of him. I would and like I to see. And he's going to smack him in the head with the Bible. I 
I'm sorry. I've been. I, you you have no idea how how long I've wanted to say <laughs> this, this whole episode. I've been waiting, and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta fit it in somewhere. I gotta fit it in somewhere. Yeah, well, you you did a great job fitting it in because, oh my God, yes. But yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of want to see Father Abbott. Uh, I mean, Father Cardin bite the dust. That would be that would be great pleasure for me. Because uh, because it's been so long since I've seen it, I want I I can't, I'm really curious to see if the Pope's guard is going to have a hand in anything mm. because they seem really intimidating and like even way more so than the Red Paladins do. Like they're like they're really. They're more like another Star another Star Wars reference. They're more like the Emperor's Red Guard than Stormtrooper. Oh, so I'm yes. just like I really want to see if they if they're gonna get some action in this. Well, you I'm know, we we thought the, we thought the fish uh, we thought the fisherman was dangerous too, and look how that turned out. So, mom got boot too. I want to see him have one of those awesome moments where she's like upset. Crying, scared, she straightens her shoulders, she stands up, she grabs a sword, and she kicks someone's ass. Oh, that would be That's great. Hopefully a sword is not as big as she is like that. This is true. This is true. <laughs> like, give the girl a dagger. Dang. Like, come on, man. Well, you know. Yeah, I, I just want to see her do something really awesome. That's what that, that's what I want to see. Well, I mean, she has Sigurd protecting her, so we we might see that. Who knows? You know, she's got that um, amulet of protection from that she got from Dolph, so it seems to have worked so far. So, um, because I, I will say this, I was very worried when Iris approached Pim. I was like, oh, if you do something to Pim, I will come through this TV and grab you. Like, I really worried that something was going to happen. But instead, I mean, she had, that was probably one of the least um, threatening scenes that Iris has had, even though she was kind of going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs there. But, you know, I, I really worried about that. But yeah, I, Pam, Pam has protection. I don't think, I don't think we have to worry about her. So yeah, it would be nice to see her uh, pick up something and fight. You know, maybe she can kill. Maybe she can, you know, kill Iris before Iris can get to Nim away or something like that. That would be. Accidentally discover she's magical and she actually has magic. That would be cool too. That would be cool. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll see. All right. I have I have one tangential tangential nod to um, Tom Hooper. Tom Hopper, I'm sorry. Tom Hopper plays Luther in Umbrella Academy. Mm -hmm. Like, really big guy. He also played Percival in Merlin. And I'm wondering two things. One, is Percival, is Sir Percival usually the one that was, was he, I keep thinking he was like one of the bigger, bigger knights of the round table, like, like, like one of the bigger guys. And second, if that's so, then Squirrel has a lot of growing to do. <laughs> but that also tells. I remember he was one of the he personally was like the youngest of the group. Anyway. He was the pretty one. If he I was remember. The pretty boy. Yeah. 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 He was the pretty boy. Okay, so he was, he was just the bigger one in Merlin because in Merlin he was bigger than everybody. But if that's the case, that tells hours. us. I was gonna say if that's the case, that tells us how far off we are from the 
Arthur becoming king story we're you know that we're expecting because Squirrel is still just a kid so we we've probably still got a while to go so like I said they need to go ahead and continue this show so that we can see how we get to that point I mean as of right now the story is still Nimaway so we know that this whatever this season finale is going to bring us it's going to have to do more so with Nimaway than anything else um especially more than you know Arthur being on his path to king but um we still got a lot of story to tell and hopefully the writers and the network or Netflix will give us the time to have that story explored yeah. all right well that's it for this episode you can find us on the web at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for joining us. We hope you join the conversation next time.